many of you guys are like uh, Olympic nerds? Like we, the Olympics were just on. Um, uh, I prefer, uh, this year what I did for the Olympics is uh, we have a DVR at my house, and so we literally recorded hours, days, of everything that was Olympic on the TV, and then I go through and I, like, I fast forward Olympics, which is really fun, because then like when you're in like the five-hour marathon, you're just like fast forward, and everyone's like, I'm really fast, and the marathon's like over in a few seconds. Um, I prefer Sam's method, where he just goes online and watches like the cool stuff, um, whatever you wanted to watch. But yeah, I'm an Olympic nerd. I mean, I have my favorites. Uh, I, gymnastics is a huge one. This year, I also discovered trampoline. Did anybody watch that? Cray cray. It's like gymnastics for people who can't do gymnastics. It's like <laughs> they, they can't win in the all around, so they get on a trampoline and do crazy flips. It's crazy. Um, uh, so the first week is usually my favorite because it's, you know, gymnastics, it's diving, it's all those fun things. But then comes track and field. Any track and field people out there? Yeah, I see some cross-country people, right? There's like bajillion cross-countries in my small group. Um, so, and here's the thing about track. I don't necessarily uh, am as entertained by track as the other uh, Olympic sports, but there's one event that like I, my jaw drops every time because I don't understand how they do it. Pole vaulting is awesome, but isn't the one. Hurdles, anybody? Hurdles. I've, you just jump, I know, that's what people have been telling me. I talk to track people and I'm like, is that so hard? And they're like, you just, you just jump over the hurdle. It's not that hard, right? But I like, I'm an amazed, I can't even walk down the street without tripping over something. I legitimately spilt milk all over my kitchen about an hour ago. I mean, and I cried, I did, I cried about it. And so like the, the idea of hurdles is just, is just amazing to me. I don't get how people can like run super fast and hop the hurdle. Like it's just amazing. And, and I got to think about it and I think that if I were to pick an event in the Olympics that was most like the daily life of you and I, it would be the hurdles. Probably like a hurdle in the marathon, you know, like putting hurdles all through the marathon. But like, that would be the event that I think would, it would be our lives, right? In our normal life, nobody I, I don't think could admit that like we have a straight, easy track, right? It's not the nice, paved, colorful, Rio green track. There's like hurdles in the way, there's, there's pitfalls, there's things that we trip over. And the, today we're gonna jump into a psalm and the book of Psalms begins with uh, chapter one, surprise, wow. And in chapter one, it, the psalmist lays out two tracks. He lays out, wait for it. He lays out the track of the wicked and he lays out the track of the faithful. And these two themes begin to be woven through the entire book of the Psalms. It's a theme that comes back. It's like the wicked do this and this happens. The faithful do this and this happens. The righteous do this and this happens. And today we're jumping into Psalm and we see both of these characters uh, in play. And when we get at the beginning of the race, we think, oh yeah, I know who's going to win this one. This is easy. I know who's going to win this one. And then we get through it and we start reading what's really gonna happen. Also we go, wait a minute, the course just changed. The end of the track looks different and somebody else comes out on top. So let's read it. Psalm 73 is where we're at. 
We begin in verse 1. And the psalmist begins with a statement of truth, and he says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as the others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, their pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment, and their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff, and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression, and they set their mouths against the heaven, and their tongues struts to the earth. Therefore, the people, they turn back to them, and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children. We're in a race here, and there's two lanes. We've got the lane of the wicked, and we've got the lane of the righteous. And the faithful righteous man is the one who we're hearing the story from. It's his side of the perspective. It's his side of the story. He's given it to us, and he starts out, and he's a good, faithful uh, person. He's a good, faithful follower of God, and he starts with a statement of truth. He says, truly, God is good to Israel. He is good to those who are pure in heart. He says, truly, I know this. I'm a good person. I'm a good follower of God. I know that God is good. And he's running along. And he's jumping all the hurdles. He's jumping them. I learned something from Sam today about something about a leg and then another leg, and that's how you don't trip. I don't know. I can't do hurdles. And he's running along. And then, and then what happens? He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly tripped, had nearly slipped. So he's running along, and he's about to trip. And he, he begins to look over to this lane. And he says, I'm, I'm envious of the wicked. Because he, he, looks, he looks over, and he begins to see the life that the wicked live. We see it through the, first, through, through the first 15 verses here. There's something that we see about the wicked. And, and the psalmist begins to, to put this equation in his head. He says this. He says, they, they're, they're violent. They are harsh. They are unkind. They're boastful. They're arrogant. They look at God and they say, you don't know anything. They say, I could be God. You don't know anything. He says, how would God know anything? They begin to claim themselves as God. They challenge him. They are blatantly independent in that they don't need anybody else. They can step on anyone. They can squish the little person. And he says, this is the way that the wicked are. But look, they have it so easy. He says, they're always at ease. They don't suffer. They don't struggle. They are so wealthy. They're so satisfied. They can pay for whatever they want. They can pay to fix whatever they want to fix. They're happy. And, and, and everybody loves them. 
then he begins for this equation. He says, the wicked live like that and they get all of the benefits. And he says, but for me, he says, I have been faithful. I have been clean and pure in heart. But he says, I struggle daily. He says, I'm rebuked every morning. And so he does this math and he says, clearly the reward for wickedness is prosperity. And clearly the reward for faithfulness is failure. And this is the equation that he puts in his mind. I know you just started school, so math may not be the top priority quite yet, but does anybody know what this is? Oh, greater than or less than. And so he sits here and he, the psalmist equates and he begins to see the wicked win and the faithful fail. This is the conclusion he comes to. The wicked are greater than the faithful. So he's, he's running along here and he looks over and he sees that in their lane, like, man, we've got like alligator tanks. We've got like hurdles. We've got like booby traps that when you step on something, a big dart comes at your head, right? And he's running through this track and he looks over to the wicked and he's like, they're like jogging on the nicest track I have ever seen. They're just tucking along, they're doing super fine, and all the while that his eyes are outward, this, here comes a hurdle, bam, blindsided, on the ground. He's laying on the ground, and he thinks this equation, man, the wicked clearly win, and the faithful clearly fail. He says, but as for me, I was envious. I was envious. He's laying on the ground, smacked in the face by a hurdle, staring at the lane of the wicked and going, is God really good? Is this really worth it? Is it really worth it to live for God? See, envy, envy is the result of believing that God has not given you what you deserved. He's envious because he believes that God has not provided him what he needs not the easy track there. And so he says, in vain have I kept my heart clean. He begins to doubt. And not only this, but to add salt to the wound that it seems that the wicked are prospering and the faithful fail. He says this, look at this. Verse 15. He says, and if I had said, I will speak thus. He goes, and even if I chose the path of the wicked, even if I had said what they said, even if I had mocked God, look, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would have been outcast from you. He says, they get to be wicked and prosper. And even if I tried to be wicked, I would still get in trouble. He's like, this is messed up. Have you ever been blindsided by that hurdle? Have you ever been laying on that track? Maybe you look over into the person sitting next to you at your class and your, the desk across from you, and you think, man, they get everything. They get the fame, they get the 
reputation. They get the wealth. They're, they've never had a struggle for anything in their life. Their parents have paid for everything. And here I am, and my parents just got divorced, or a family member just died, or I like am working to please God, and I still feel so alone. Why do they prosper? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt laying on the track and thinking, man, is it worth it to live for God? It's so hard to go to school as a Christian. It's like tolerance exists for everybody except for Christians. And it's so hard to try to, to stick with this statement of truth that God is close to the pure at heart. And you're like, okay, I want to be pure. I want to be pure. I'm trying to run. And you get hit by hurdle by hurdle. And it's so hard. And we sometimes come to this same observation that the psalmist had. And we say, is it worth it? Do the wicked really prosper? When the psalmist took his eyes from looking at the end game and looked to the wicked. He began to compare. He got hit by a hurdle and tripped. And he begins to ask if it's worth it. But check this out. So he's hit the hurdle. He's down, okay? He, like, hit the hurdle. He just missed the alligator tank, so he's not dead yet. And he's laying on the ground, and he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Key for while you're reading the Bible Anytime there's the word but, and yeah, my middle schoolers are going to giggle, pay attention to the buts, um, circle those in your Bible because those are going to be, this is a really important moment here. And so he says, this is a wearisome task. He's literally sitting on the ground. He's looking at the wicked, questioning the entire purpose of his life. He's wearisome, and he just stares at the sky. And he says, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. There's two really key things that happen while this, while this runner is laying on the ground, staring at the sky, sighing in exhaustion. There's two really key things that happen there. He says, I go into the sanctuary of God. This is a picture of him drawing near to God. In the Old Testament, the place that you would go to be near God would be the temple, would be the sanctuary, would be the inner courthouse. That's where God was and he's, so the first thing he does, he draws near to God. He says, in my suffering and my trial and the, the pain that I am running through right now, he draws near to God in the sanctuary. That's the first thing he does. He draws near to God. And secondly, he begins to cast his eyes up on the eternal picture. So think of this way, right? He's running. He's running. He's running. He's like, man, this is really hard. He looks over. Those guys are jogging. They're getting like Gatorade. They're like no hurdles at all. He gets distracted, smack, hits a hurdle on the ground, questioning his entire purpose in life, right? And then he looks up and he says, God, okay, I see you. And then he looks up and he sees the end of the track. And he sees what the finish line looks like. He gets this eternal perspective. He looks up and above and he looks over. And let's, let's look at what he sees. Verse 18, he says, truly, he's back to a true stem. He says, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, and you rouse yourself 
despite, you despise them as phantoms. He, he looks up. He's got a big bruise on his face from the hurdle. He looks up, and he sees the end of the track, and he sees where their track ends, and he says it ends in destruction. They're destroyed in a moment. But look at verse 24. He then sees his track. 24, he says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. He looks at the end, and he goes, man, at the end of their track, they got it easy now. They suffer later. We have a hard track now, but we find glory later. Glory with God. So he begins to reconsider as he sees the eternal perspective, as he sees the end track, he says, man, clearly the wicked waste away while the faithful find rest. Check this out. He begins with saying, the reward of wickedness is death. He sees the end of their track. He, begins to ex- he starts to experience this, this truth statement before when he's declared this truth statement. He, he only knew it intellectually, but he begins to feel it here. And he says, truly, I see that their end is destruction. They're destroyed in a moment, but you will receive me into glory. And he sees that he has a delightful finish line. And that's the gift of God himself. But guys, here's like, here's like the coolest part of this whole passage. I skipped a few verses because this is like one that like rips me apart every time I read it in a good way. Verse 21. He says, when my soul was embittered, and when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He hits a hurdle in his life, and he begins to question God. He begins to envy the wicked. He begins to wonder if his life is worth it, and his heart becomes bitter. And he says, I was pricked to the heart. It's like someone stabbed him in the chest, and he's like, ah. And then he's brutish, and he's ignorant. He's saying, God, like, what is this? Like, do you care? Do you know? Do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? Like, do you understand that these guys, there's no justice here? And I was like a beast towards you. Beasts are like soulless creatures. Uh, in spite of what you want to believe, all dogs do not go to heaven, right? They are soulless creatures. And it's more like my dog who like wants to go outside sometimes, right? And he loves to be outside every morning. He like does like Pride Rock Lion King style. He sits on our porch and just surveys the land. He stares out onto the sunrise. But sometimes he will sit and he will scratch at the door and the door is open. And I'm like, the door is open, go outside. And he's like scratching at the door and I'm like, the door is open, right? And I'm like, I can't do anything for you. I could shut the door and open it again, right? And he just sits and scratches at the door. Like this is the kind of beast that we are when we are embittered towards God. We're like dumb, like ignorant in mind. We like don't know our way. We don't know where we're going. We're stuck and all we can see is the mud that we're running in, the hurdle that just hit us in the face, the alligator that's coming up. We can't see the end of the track. And but check this out. There's a giant word in verse 23. It's got a lot of syllables. Okay? 
It says, nevertheless, I am continuously with you. You hold my right hand. What? Even when I'm a beast? Even when I'm brutish? Even when I'm so bitter that my words are like venom? You are holding my right hand? You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. This is this crazy truth. He runs into this truth, right? After being blindsided by a hurdle, he runs into this truth that the wicked, as he sees their end game, he says the wicked actually are led to destruction, and the faithful are actually led to God. But then he's encountered with this crazy grace that says, even when I am utterly disgusting, the Lord is with me. Man, if we don't look through this passage and see Jesus, man, we're missing a huge perspective here. Can you just hear the heart of, of God for us in this passage? That in those moments when the like refrain of your life is, it's not fair. And God, I don't know where you are, and I don't know why I'm going through this, and I don't get why they get it so easy. And in those moments when you are like angry and ugly, there's a hand that's reaching down for you, and he helps you out of the mud, and helps you out of the alligator pit. And he says, I'm continuously with you. I'm holding your right hand. I look at the first verse that we read, and it says, truly those, God is good to those from the pure in heart. And intellectually I can say, yeah, truly, truly God is good to those of the pure in heart, but I'm more like verse two, where he says, but as for me, I'm not pure in heart. I'm not, like, I'm so selfish. I want to be like the wicked, where I get my own way, where I am the end all, where I am God in my life, where my independence is all that I need in my life. I will trample everyone else. I am brutish. And even though I am like that, God, Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, even when I was trapped over here in the wickedness of myself, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. The psalmist hits a rough patch, and Christ picks him up, and he sees grace. He encounters truth. He experiences God in the moment of his despair. And then look at what he says. This is super key. Because we read the first verse here, right? Where he's saying this like truth about God, but there's not a lot of heart in it. It's like, you know, when you're like, oh yes, yes, the golden rule. Be kind, treat others like you want to be treated, right? Be kind and have courage. That's not you know, like Cinderella. Right? We're like, oh yes, yes, yes. We can assent to all these like, oh yes, yes. Love your neighbor. All these great things. But then, when he's been through the mud, when he's been through the muck, when he's been through the pain, when his heart has been wrenched, when his eyes have not seen sleep, when he has pulled to the very end of himself, he can look at God and he says, verse 25, 
He says, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. A few verses back, he would look at the wicked and he says, they always prosper. They get what they want. They have the money. They have the fame. They have the reputation. They say they're fat. They have so much food, right? They have like Thanksgiving every day. And now, now he looks at this and he says, there is nothing on earth that I desire. There's none of that that I desire besides you. So he begins to calculate again. The wicked, we know, as less than. But then he begins to calculate this way. It's not just that the faithful are greater than the wicked, but he says God is greater than everything. He's greater than it all. He, he continues to say, verse 26, he says, my flesh and my heart may fail. I like to read that as my flesh and my heart will fail because I know myself, right? I know that no matter how hard I run, at some point I'm gonna smack a hurdle in the face, right? He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's my strength. He gets me back up when I'm exhausted. He gets me back up when I'm weak. He's my portion forever, meaning I'm satisfied in him. I don't need anything else and he says, behold, those who are far from you shall perish, and you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful in you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that may tell of all your works. He, began, he experiences God's truth and grace, and he begins to proclaim it. And he begins to believe, man, God is greater. God is greater. There's nothing on this earth that I desire beside you. There's nothing that I'd be willing to have and lose you. There's nothing that would want me to lose you. And he begins to say this. God is better than my reputation. God is greater than my reputation. On if everybody loves you or if everybody hates you or if people think you're weird or if people think you're cool, he's better than your reputation and your Instagram profile, okay? He's better than my joys. He's even better than my joys. He brings me the greatest joy. He is better than my independence. And you go, hold up, lady. You're in America. Nothing is greater than independence, <laughs> right? Didn't we fight a whole war about that, right? My independence, guys, but did you see the wicked? Did you see the wicked in this profile where they scoff and they mock God and they say, who do you think you are? I am all that I need. I am all, I depend on nobody. I'm sufficient in myself. I am my own God. That is the way of the wicked and it ends in our destruction. And he's better. God is better than even our independence. He's better than your accomplishments. I don't care if you go to Harvard and get seven master's degrees, God is still better. You can be the smartest, believe me, I have worked my butt off to be the smartest person in the room. Twice over, high school and college, I graduated at the top 5% of my class and I got to the end and I held the degree in my hand and I said it's not enough. It doesn't matter how accomplished I am or how smart I am. God is so greater. He's greater.
future. You have plans. Come on, girls. Like, you know how many kids you want. You know how, what their names are, what their middle names are. You just got to find the husband first, but you definitely know what he's going to act like, right? <laughs> Guys, you're like, oh, I want to, like, have lots of money, and I want to, like, have a great business. I want to be a great supporter, and I want to be, like, the man, right? He's better than any vision you have of your future, how much money or income you bring in. And he's better than your failures, He's better than your accomplishments, but he's better than your failures. I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one that, like, goes to bed at night, like, staring at the ceiling going, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. This is literally the one thing I was supposed to get done today. Didn't do it, right? Like, we all have those moments as we're going to bed. And I've, like, that compared with this, my anxieties, these two things comparatively, I wrestle with all the time. I stare at the ceiling at night and I cry and I look at my situation. I go, God, like I am anxious about failing and I fail when I'm anxious. Like it's just the steam pile of terrible, right? And like I wrestled with like, what is the answer? What is the answer when I say, like, I'm not enough, like, when I'm not good enough, when, when things go crazy with my life, like, when I feel like the biggest failure, and all I can think is, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. Guys, God is greater. God is greater than my failures. God is greater than my accomplishments. God is greater than my income. God is greater than if people like me. God is greater than all of it. And it's enough. So that, like the psalmist here, he gets up out of the track, he stops looking at the wicked, sees the end goal, and just runs. And he can jump the hurdles, sometimes hit them, right? He can step in the mud, but sometimes pass over it because he knows that in the end, God is greater and that he is his portion forever. And he responds to these final this final verse, he says this final verse in his response, and I want us to respond in the same way tonight. He says, the, the but again, guys, notice the but? Circle the but, it's a good but. Verse 28, he says but, meaning all of this, like all of this great thing that the wicked have, but as for me, forget it. It's good for me to be near God to be near God. Guys, this nearness is not like, um, it's not just a physical proximity, nearness. In this case, it's a relational proximity. It's like knowing that like God is with me. I am with God. I am not alone. And he says, I can be near God. In the opening line, he says, God is good to those who are pure in heart. And the end line, he says, God is my refuge. God is near. God is present. He is with him through all the suffering. And he finds that he's not near to God because he was pure, but he runs the race hard and he lives pure because he's been made near to God. And guys, in Christ, we have that. 
that Jesus ran that race perfectly for us, and he has brought us near to God. And we can respond in the same way here. He says, but my, may the Lord my refuge, one, guys, you can find rest in God, in this truth that God is greater. Just breathe. Yeah, you hit a hurdle. Yeah, there's a rough track ahead. It's not easy. We're going to face suffering. We're going to face death. We're going to face loss. We're going to face grief. We're going to face depressions. We're going to face anxiety. But God is greater and we can rest in him. He says, make God my refuge. He's my safe place. And then he says that I may tell of all your works. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a chorus here that I feel is the exact message here. Where we are saying God is greater. We're going to proclaim, man, Jesus is better than it all. Jesus is better than all these things. And just like the psalmist where he says, I'm going to declare these things, we need to say these things because our hearts need to be convinced, right? Your heart needs to be convinced. My heart needs to be convinced. We're going to sing this together. We're going to sing, Jesus is better than all these things. Make my heart believe. Make my heart believe. And as we sing together, we're encouraging each other to make our hearts believe this truth. God is greater than it all.